across the blue line. Leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grubauer. And Zadorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into another episode of Avalanche Talk brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's number one rated sportsbook app. And I'm coming to you here from Denver on probably one of the hottest days of the summer. Arif's coming to us from Detroit. Say what's up to the people. What's going on, guys? And it is just as hot here with humidity, so count your blessings, my man. Absolutely. As usual, I'm your host, JJ Jerez, and Arif, everything is finally ratified. I Absolutely. mean, there's so much that went on. We had to get this podcast going this week, even though you are out of state. We just we, we, we pulled some strings and made it happen, and you know, we've got a lot of things to look forward to. I'm excited. You know, the schedules come out. That's something we'll get into here in a second, but most importantly, everything is set in stone. The dates are ready to go. Starting with July 13th training camp, which is only three days later it's than we initially thought. Yeah, and it's crazy to think that July 13th, not only three days later, but three days from today, we are recording on a Friday evening. It's 11 Eastern. It's 9 o'clock Mountain Time. You're probably going to be listening to this on a Saturday or Sunday. And literally Monday, the Avalanche are going to be hosting an official training camp at the Pepsi Center with media to what extent and if we are going to be allowed there we'll find out over the next coming days um in the process of figuring that out but it's it's happening that quick yeah exactly i mean i didn't even put two and two together today to there today is the day that it was supposed to start but they're only yeah pushing it back three days which is amazing because all the other dates are kind of still in place from what they originally planned yeah, I mean, and that's kind of what I, has been my thought process all along. Whenever we kept hearing that training camps are going to be three weeks long, it was, why is it so long? Well, by scheduling everything with a three-week training camp, that gives you a 21-day buffer to you know, decrease the length of training camp, which ultimately they have by about a week and a week and a day or so. So it really gave the NHL room to really make sure that they get this right. They didn't want to be first. They wanted to make sure they were right. And that's why even, you know, Edmonton and Toronto being the hub cities, we've known that for about a week and a half now, but it was just officially announced today because the NHL wanted to push it to the last possible moment. So they did a really good job of getting those dates set that they wanted and implementing that by just cutting from the training camp phase. Right. Training camp officially starts Monday, but the players have been there for a while. I mean, we've seen from the Avalanche. Exactly. Avalanche's Twitter that, you know, there's three different groups that they have skating, and there's a maximum of 12. So that's a lot of players that they've had at camp. But uh, aside from that, it's only going to be about a 12-day camp, and then traveling starts July 26th to the Bubbles. Yeah, exactly. And they're going to even play an exhibition game between July 28th and 30th. Every team is going to play one exhibition game. And I, I sort of keep forgetting about that. And here we are on Friday, July 10th. And on August 2nd, the Colorado Avalanche and the St. Louis Blues are playing in Edmonton, Alberta, summer hockey. The NHL is back. The first game of the round robin phase. It's crazy. Right, that's the order for Colorado is St. Louis, and then they face off against Dallas and then uh, finish the round-robin part of it with the, with the Vegas Golden Knights. Personally, I would have flipped it if I had the choice. I'd rather go Vegas, Dallas, St. Louis. Yeah. How do you feel about having St. Louis first in in that matchup against the Avs? I like it. Get thrown to the Wolves. Play play the best and see what you can do. And I just think that it's better that way. Just from I mean, it could be you know either way. It could go either really good or really bad. But if you start off playing St. Louis and you beat them, you know four to one, five to two, or something like that, suddenly you have all this momentum going and and you can possibly sweep through it. I mean, people like you and me are nerding out over this entire format because it's very World Cup like, soccer World Cup like, where it's three games. You go three and zero. Oh, you win your division. You win your conference and then you jump into the tournament tree which is ultimately what's going to happen but what I do think is is the underrated part of the schedule is that the avalanches the avalanche are the only team with the schedule from the western conference where they play every third day 
So they got two days off. They play August 2nd, two days off, August 5th, two days off, August 8th. Dallas has one day off and then three days off. Vegas has two days off and then one day off. St. Louis has three days off and then two days off. So Colorado plays every third day, which again, if you are a big you know, nerd about soccer and the World Cup and the Euro Cup and all these things, that's ultimately how it happens. You play every third day, every fourth day. It's a very consistent schedule. And the Avalanche are the only team from those four in the West that have that consistent schedule for the round robin phase. Yeah, let's dig into the broadcast plans a little bit. I mean, the schedule, they're going to have three games a day. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, like you said, you'll be probably watching your favorite teams every third day. Now, that's kind of what you've seen go on in the European soccer restart. You're watching, you know, the, the team that you support every third day. And even if it's not the team you support, you're having some great soccer to watch. And that's how it's going to be. You know, you're going to have so many games every day. For the hockey fan, this is going to be just like a little bit of paradise. Now, it still feels kind of gimmicky to me. It still feels uh, a lot like the World Cup did a few years back, uh, the World Cup of hockey. Um, But needless to say, I think I'm still giddy. And seeing the schedule come out lately has just got me even giddier that hockey's right around the corner. Yeah, and I think it's going to feel a little bit weird in the beginning for just a little bit of time. But as soon as things get started, as soon as the round robin phase is done, and then after the round robin, as soon as you get into the actual 16-team playoff, once that 16-team playoff bracket starts, it's going to feel normal. I think it's going to be a little weird at the beginning, but once we get to those four rounds, best out of seven, Colorado may be the number one seed, uh, you know, Chicago may be the number eight seed or whoever it may be, and they're playing that best of seven, it's going to feel a little bit more, more, more normal. If the NHL went straight up one game elimination, just, you know, do anything to award a cup, it would feel a lot more gimmicky to me. Either way, man, we are in the middle of a pandemic and hockey is happening. Between August 1st and August 9th, there's going to be a ton of hockey, six games a day, every day at noon, four, and eight o'clock local. So Eastern time, you're going to have games at noon, two, four, six, eight, and 10. Mountain time, noon, four, eight, uh, or actually 10 a.m., noon, two, four, six, eight. So it's just, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm super excited. I know that feeling that you have is, is the same feeling that all, you know, all of us hockey fans have around the world. And it's just, it's a great time to be a hockey fan because this is going to be a fun couple months of hockey. Right. It's like March Madness almost. It's hockey madness. Where exactly. You kind of got to get multiple screens going at once. You know, you're going to yeah. be watching the third period of this game. And the and it's all the throughout the day, period. every day. This yeah. is something that the NHL is, you know, people have wanted, have been suggesting this idea for a really long time where you have games all throughout the day, just like, you know, baseball does, just like the NFL does. Granted, the NFL does it on a Sunday, but this is the perfect time to test that out. Not that the NHL has any other choice, but to do this right now. But hey, man, if two o'clock games on a Wednesday work, then the NHL can really get creative in the future and be a more progressive league like the NBA and make those different moves and changes. Um, but you know, that's that's talk for future years. But right now, the broadcasting it's going to be really interesting. But it just it's going to work out like a tournament. Like if you're hosting a college tournament, the Frozen Four, where Colorado and St. Louis are taking the ice and the team that's playing at 8 o'clock, which on August 2nd would be Vancouver and Minnesota, they might be sitting in the crowd, all the players sitting there in their windsuits, wearing their headphones, listening to their music, watching the game at hand, and then an hour before their puck drops, they disappear into their locker room. Like, it's going to feel very college hockey tournament-like, which is, you know, what I did at University of Michigan for so long. So it's going to have that feel to it, and it's an exciting time, man. I'm really interested. It's unique, but it's going to be really cool, and and, and, and we're going to see an actual Stanley Cup get awarded. One thing I've been meaning to touch on, and it's just escaped me for the last several podcasts, is the actual broadcast plans where they're planning, and I already have kind of a negative view towards commentators and play-by-play and color. They're not even going to be in the building, and I just find that super cheesy to hear some guy comment, just feel the need to talk over the game just because he thinks he knows a lot. I really wish there was an option to just mute them and have pure player yeah, sounds. kind of like you do it in the NHL, the EA Sports games. But it's actually very interesting to me. I don't know what it is about altitude when they broadcast games, but when they are at home at the Pepsi Center, obviously I haven't watched a lot of altitude this season uh, because I've been at all the home games, but 
when they in past seasons would host home games and I would listen to the broadcast, it sounded like, you know, Mark Mosier before that Mike Haynes was right there in the action. But when they're on the road, it always sounded to me exactly like what you're saying, like Mike Haynes' voice or Mark Mosier's voice was sort of being recorded on top of a TV a TV viewing that he was watching from, you know, another building because just like the volume was off, the crowd noise wasn't really synced with his voice. And so from that point of view, it is going to be a little bit weird because they're not going to be there. But then again, the NHL's broadcasting might be a heck of a lot better than Altitude. Whatever felt weird and sounded weird to me might not sound weird on NBC. What makes Mark Moser so great? It's that he gets emotionally involved in the game. He lets the electricity in the building really come through in the things he's saying. And when he's not yeah. experiencing the electricity, he's not watching this live. It's almost going to be just too fabricated and just, I don't know, not as genuine as, as emotion. You know, it's going to be much harder to yell, go McKinnon. Sure, he's excited just because that's who he is. But being in the building just presents a, a different level for you. For sure, but uh, let's not forget that being in the building this time around means that you're going to be in a building with no fans. And by having no fans, Mark Mosher's not really going to have much energy. You know, not that Mosher's going to be broadcasting games for NBC by any means, but he won't, you know, these commentators aren't going to have the energy to build off of because there is not going to be much energy in the crowd. It's just going to be the players and what you hear off the ice, which is exactly what they're going to hear from their TV set. So I I totally get what you're saying, but at the same time, it's not like that's an option because the fans are not going to be there regardless. Either way, schedule is out, and I'm excited. You know, I know I've kind of been more on the negative side of things these last couple months, and it's hard not to be, but now that I see the schedule in my eyes, suddenly I've got those butterflies back. It wasn't until, what, two hours ago when that actually came out that it, that it, it hit me. Yeah, I mean, the NHL, I, I got that media email from the NHL that everything was ratified, everything was done. <laughs> I texted you about it, and, you know, everything is ratified. That's that's the big thing. The vote was like a 79% vote among the NHLPA or 78.8%. And it's just crazy to see that the NHL, I, I, I can't say this enough, they've done everything properly. They've been the best league, the players, the commissioner, the NHL, the owners, everything about this hockey giant has been, has been the league to look at in terms of how to handle this pandemic they've done an exceptional job in terms of you know sports in north america and i just as much as i like to be a negative nancy about things sometimes and try to look at the possibility of what you know expect the worst and plan for the worst the the, the it's not just the optimist in me but the realist in me truly thinks that this is going to work and i i can't possibly think that you know of all the leagues if there's one that truly has the best chance of working it's the nhl it's this plan they've put together it's the cities they've chosen the way that they're going to do it i'm excited man and and, and there's a lot of reason why that we should be excited truth be told when that email came out that everything was ratified i don't know if it's just too many pucks to the head or just i've never used the word ratified too much but i had to look it up just to make sure it meant what i thought it was yeah. meaning in that <laughs> context uh, but yeah thank goodness it, it definitely was um moving on a couple other things that were ratified is uh just some other dates uh you know we don't want to get too deep into them but i wanted to lightly hit on just kind of the off-season dates i mean we've got the basically the plan for the Stanley Cup Finals to be September twentieth to October second, and then from there, October you know, there's 4th. a handful of things. October October fourth is the last possible day. Yes, correct. Uh, yeah, and there's a lot of things built around that. What I like about this is that the NHL's got this schedule out for August first to August 9th. and by August 9th, all the play-in rounds and the round robin games are going to be done. And for sure, it will be August 9th because the round robin games are scheduled up until August 9th, even if all the play-in rounds are done before Game Five. You know of their series. And then what's really cool is August 10 is a scheduled day off for everybody. And I think that's really cool because August 10 is also when they're going to host phase two of the draft lottery where the eight teams that lose the play in round are entered into that lottery for the number one overall pick for Alexis Lafreniere or Lafreniere. Uh, and that's really cool because all eyes are going to be on that. Even on the one day, this entire schedule where there isn't going to be hockey, there's still going to be a lot of eyes on hockey. And then from there, we're going to go straight into the playoffs. You're going to go into round one. 
which is going to start on the 11th. Round 2 starts on the 25th. Round 3 begins September 8th. Exactly 14 days between everything, as you can see. Round 4, the Stanley Cup Final, September 22nd. Last possible date, October 4th. Seven days after that uh, will be uh, the, the, well, less than seven days after that. Five days after that, October 9th would be the 2020 draft. And then right after that will be free agency. So everything is going to move really quickly. November 17, training camp starts. December 1st next season begins obviously those dates are a little more fluid because it depends on getting fans in this in, in you know butts in seats for next season and things like that but man they like I, like we've been saying for weeks they put a lot of planning into this and there's so many dates and so many things that have been set and it just goes to show how much work they've put into this since march they're definitely on a time crunch, so you know exactly, that makes yeah. sense for the 14 days, especially with how quickly they're trying to jump right back into the new season. You lightly yeah. touched on it there. Let's dig a little deeper on that. Do you really think that's a, a feasible idea to start the next season as soon as they're hoping to? Uh, I do. Even for the teams that make the Stanley Cup final, it might seem like a lot of hockey in a short amount of time, but I'm going to say two things. Um, you know... From October 2019 until October 2020, they will have played what they usually play in eight months spread over 12 months because of the pandemic. So now while everything else from October 2020 through October 2021 gets congested, they just had a year of playing a lot less hockey. So it, it balances it out in the end. You still end up playing the same amount of hockey over 24 months. It's just you had a little bit more of a rest period, and then it gets constricted a little bit more. Um, as far as next season is concerned, the NHL wants 82 games. They want fans to be there. How many fans? God knows. You know That depends on the vaccine and a lot of other things that we don't want to talk about anymore because we have hockey. But, uh, you know, if they can start December 1st, great. If not, they want to start as close to that as possible because they are going to cram 82 games into next season and then go into the playoffs and probably end in July or August. It's interesting because it's just uncharted territory, right? I exactly. Mean, you, you don't know right now whether it's best to be, at least in terms of next season, whether it's best, best to be one of the teams eliminated early in the playoffs or if it's best to be one of the teams that stay around late and you know, you're kind of still in shape come training camp yeah. time or do you have enough time to take a break, reset all over again and then get back to training. And, and you know, they're not used to getting ready for this training camp, you know, getting their bodies back, back in working order for professional hockey twice in a six month period. So it's going to be, Crazy to see how that affects players, teams, and, you know, injuries, unfortunately, to say. I think exactly. it's, it's kind of a risk. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to throw something out there that we don't have to get too deep into discussion about. We can talk about this during the short off season, but I'll use the Avalanche as an example because we're an Avalanche podcast. The Avalanche are going to, you know, if the Avalanche win the Stanley Cup, going into next season, the Avalanche will still be a contender for the 2020-21 Stanley Cup. The playoffs are probably going to go, if the season starts December 1st, you're looking at December through May for the regular season, June and July for the playoffs. So you're looking at a late July Stanley Cup awarding uh, next year. This season starts August 1st. So from August 1st to July 31st of 2021, in exactly 365 days, you're looking at hockey where you're going to be playing. If you're the Avalanche and you actually win the cup, you're going to be playing a consistent 12 months of hockey minus that short training camp, that short offseason between October 4th and when training camp begins November 17th. So what I want to say based off of that, and we won't get too far into this discussion, but for a team like the Avalanche, who will probably be a contender next year, if they win the cup this year, we're going to see a lot of players taking time off what do they call it in the nba load management you're going to see a lot of load management for guys like mckinnon guys like ranton and guys that play big minutes next season if the avalanche were to win the stanley cup this year because while yes making the playoffs is important and seating is important to expect mckinnon to play his usual 20 to 25 minutes a night on any given night for 365 days minus a six-week training camp it's kind of going to be a lot so um it's going to be really interesting. It's uncharted territories. This isn't like the 2013 lockout where the NHL could look back 18 years earlier to what they did in 95 and say, let's do that again. It worked. This is something they've never done before. 
uh, and the last time we had a pandemic was 101 years ago. So even that failed attempt of trying to finish a season uh, was before any of our lifetime. So it's not something that you can really look back on. In the event that this COVID cup goes so well for the NHL and maybe even kind of trumps what they've done in past playoff I guess, schedules and seasons. Um, is there a possibility in your mind that the NHL shifts to maybe wanting to have the Stanley Cup Finals around this same time next year and maybe just kind of adjusting the time frame in which an NHL season takes place? And that's the other discussion that we can definitely get into during the offseason, but I think that's something the NHL is excited to test out. It's excited to look at what summer hockey is going to be like because – Let's face it, when the NHL comes back in October, the re- the it's it realistically doesn't garner much attention in those early months, October, November, because college football's around, because the NFL's around, because the NBA just began, and because the MLB is concluding in October and November. The NHL needs, you know, as stupid as it is to say that this league, you know, has to schedule their time zones around all these other leagues. The reality is the NHL is the fourth most popular sport of the big four. And if having the playoffs in July and August every year, instead of April, May or May, April, May and early June will garner more attention toward the league and starting in December means more eyes on opening night in the first month of the season. And that can bring in an extra 500 million or 750 or 1 billion to the revenue then why not do it? I mean, players might not like it because they want their summers off. But if you give the player, I mean, let's face it, as far as I'm concerned, once Stanley Cup gets awarded every year. So if you don't make the playoffs, you're still done in May. And if you do make the playoffs and you lose in the first and second round, you're still done in May and you're not playing hockey again until later on in November. So you're still ultimately going to have your summer off. It's just going to be extended into the fall rather than starting in the spring and extending it to the summer. You, me, all of our nerdy friends in the press box and probably all of our nerdy listeners out there, we're always there for October. We're excited for October. We're excited for the start of the season. But we are definitely in the minority. I 100%. mean I look, I look at my dad, for example. He's you know, he has one thing in common with Joe Sackick, I've always told him. And, you know, my dad's from Spain, knows nothing about hockey. Joe Sackick's from Canada, knows everything about hockey. But the one thing they share is every year they're the ones saying, just let me know when the playoffs start and I'll pay attention. And that's yep. very much how NHL fans are. I mean, again, not our listeners because they care enough about the team to, to listen to us, for God's sakes. But yeah. other people, the layman's fans out there, just don't care about early NHL season. And then when you fast forward to the end of an NHL season, you know, I think some of the high, some of the NHL's biggest fans are kids. And what's going on in... May, June, late April for kids. They're still in school. Not only that, they're wrapping up school. So it's kind of a time for them not to be able to stay up late and watch a game or, you know, miss the beginning portion of a game because of maybe an extra, you know, curricular activity of some sort or something. So I think adjusting to that summer when kids are free and have all the time, you're going to get so many ratings just from kids alone. And I know, sure, maybe they don't have the money to really pump into the NHL and every one of these kids has a tablet and iPad they got something where they're part of the viewership and it still accounts for something even if they're not actual tickets uh but yeah, I mean, spot on. I I cut you off, but spot on. I mean, you knew where I was going with there yeah, like you said I, there's a conversation for a later date. We got a little bit too into it, but we're going to need something to talk about in the off season. Let's see how this COVID cup goes and you know, we'll we'll assess afterwards, right? Yeah, for sure. And uh, like I said, I mean, the most important thing is I'm super excited for this. I'm super excited to see where it goes. And, uh, you know, it's summer hockey. It might seem gimmicky. There's no fans it's in Edmonton and Toronto. But I promise you, it's going to take about five minutes into the first period of the first game before everybody forgets that and just remembers that this is the 2020 playoffs and the Stanley Cup is going to get awarded and the team that wins it will deservedly win it as long as nothing gets a little too crazy with COVID and teams possibly having to pull out and, you know, anything crazy like that, that would require an asterisk. That's a worst case scenario right there for sure. Moving on to a couple other things that were announced that were officially ratified. 
this week are the uh, I guess the other half of the negotiations. We really covered them, I think, in depth last week. So just kind of recap them a little bit. It's the Olympics. Um, you know, no trade clauses that are going to move with players during trades. They're not just going to be wiped out after the trade. And uh, escrow all being uh, you know, capped. You know, capped. And then I think also that I think my favorite rule, honestly, is um, the 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 not having to retain salary on players that aren't actually on the roster. I honestly think that's one of the the most brilliant rule changes. Thir- I didn't 30, even think the we The 35 needed. plus, yeah. The 35 plus one's a big one. Mm-hmm. I always look at the things that are a little bit more uh, unique in the sense where we don't really think about these things and then they come up and we're like, oh, you know what? That makes sense. So here's three examples of that. First of all, free agency has changed slightly back to what it used to be before. So that courting period that we're used to where the NHL players can sort of talk to the the, the legal tampering, as we like to call it, where you can talk to teams on June 25th leading up to that July 1st free agency is now gone. And the reason why the NHL is doing that is because it eliminated the frenzy of July 1st. And you see it often. June 28th, you know that the Avalanche are going to sign Giannis Donskoy. Uh, A couple summers ago on June 26th, we knew that Jonathan Bernier was going to sign in Detroit. So when when noon comes around on July 1st, you're ultimately announcing what we already know rather than picking up the phone at that moment and getting this frenzy going. My favorite thing about that, other than the fact that it leads to a frenzy, is that this is when it leads to more crazier contracts because people don't really have time to sit on these deals and GMs are going to be working sort of round the clock in the moment to get these contracts done. So it sort of creates more of a buzz, and I'm excited for that. The second thing that I found unique was the trade condition where you can no longer add a condition to a trade based off of a player re-signing with that team. So an example of that is when Matt Duchesne was traded to Columbus last year. If Columbus re-signs Matt Duchesne in the summer, they have to give Ottawa an extra first-round draft pick. Or Matt Zuccarello, he was traded for a second-rounder, but if Dallas re-signs him, that second-rounder gets upgraded to a first. And the reason why that was an issue for players, and this was something the players didn't want, is because you're Matt Zuccarello. You had a hell of a playoff with Dallas and you know a good regular season before your injury. Suddenly you want to re-sign with that team in the summer – you are no longer, uh, you have a less of a chance of re-signing with them because now in order for them to re-sign you, they have to give up an extra draft pick or a better draft pick. And that eliminates from your from, from, from the value of your contract. They're not willing to give you as much money because suddenly you cost more than the regular free agent, which ultimately costs nothing but money, no assets involved. So just the little things like that, that you don't think about it. This was a cool one too. This one is completely random, but when a player gets traded, if he moves without his family, the NHL, this is hilarious, the NHL is in charge of, well, the owners are in charge of one round-trip flight for the players' families to go visit their husband and, and father in the new city. So let's say, for example, Nemestikov gets traded from the Rangers to the Avalanche at the deadline. I'm not sure if he's married, but if he's married and has a wife and kid at home and they stay in, in New York the owners and the NHL now has to pay to bring that family to Denver to visit him while he's with his new team and while they're house searching for a new home. So just these little things you don't think about. It's really cool to, like we said, you know, last week, I nerd out about the CBA stuff. It's a 71 page document. I can't wait to read through it and see what else I could find. Little tidbits like that. Yeah. These all sound very player friendly, you know, almost as if we can see who held the most cards during negotiations but they did give some stuff up on their own. And, you know, I think we've mentioned it before, but both teams did an amazing job yep. of just sacrificing some things to make it work for everyone. Yeah. And, you know, it, they just did what was necessary, everyone around the NHL. So kudos to all of them, right? Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Stick taps to everybody involved. And, I mean, if the players didn't agree to this, then you're looking at a salary cap reduction from $81 million to about $65 million, on top of escrow being about 50% of that. So salaries would have been rolled back, jobs would be lost, not enough money to go around, and the money of the contracts already signed would be cut in half on top of the 20% cap in the escrow. So the players had a lot to fight for, but you can see how many, like you said, how, how strong a hold they had 
at this bargaining table because of all the concessions that they got. I mean, my favorite one, this one is hilarious to me that Olympic participation was added in this because, I mean, COVID aside and how crazy it is to be thinking of China, you know, hosting a hockey tournament with all these NHL players in, in a couple of years from now. But, you know, aside from the pandemic, the NHL has to go to China. China is a great market and it's a rising market in terms of hockey and the amount of money the NHL can make from there. So it really will benefit the NHL to be there for that Olympics. But some way, somehow this turned into a player concession. So the NHL owners and Gary Bettman were able to turn something that benefits the players or sorry, benefits the owners into something that the players think that they are winning by adding to the collective bargaining agreement. So it's just funny to see how, how you know, Bettman is great at negotiating to the point where he was able to turn this thing that was for the owners into something that's for the players and sort of like, okay, we'll give you that too. We're going to sacrifice to give you that when ultimately the NHL is benefiting from that just as much. Uh, obviously, it helps that the IOC was sort of put to bed on their whole we don't need you argument because in 2018 nobody gave a rat's ass about the NHL's or the lack of NHL men's hockey tournament it was the women's hockey tournament that took the cake and rightfully so uh so that's one of the interesting things that I really liked about the negotiation but aside from that man everybody sacrificed a little bit for the good of the game and the NHL obviously also needed this to get done because they have a new a new team joining the league as well as a new TV deal over the next less than 24 months for both of those. And you just cannot have a lockout of any sorts around two big things like that. Not all players were on board, as we've heard. Uh, the voting kind of came out 80 about 79, 78% in favor of the restart, which, you know, yep. basically four to one. If you tell me at the beginning of COVID that four to one players were going to be on board I'd say I would take it so you know I was the whole time on the NHL players side make sure that they want to go so I think 80% is pretty solid number to uh, get this thing going yeah and I think I could be wrong but the last thing I read was the players have until July 26 to opt out of the tournament and like I said last week I think it'll be you know players you can count on one hand maybe two hands and they'll all either be players that have a truly legitimate reason, like a newborn child or an expecting mother uh, or someone like Max Domi, who's a type 2 diabetic. I mean, his his decision might not even be in his hands at this point. It might be something that a doctor has to decide for him. Or it'll be players that are going to sign in Europe at the end of the season. Um, the one that's already become public, not in terms of officially opting out, but in terms of not really wanting to play, is Roman Polak, the defenseman for the Dallas Stars. So that'll probably be the first name that we hear, and it'll just sort of escalate from there from the players that are going to be going to Europe. Absolutely. There's a couple players in and out of Avs Phase 2. We'll get into that next. But first, got to tell you guys about DraftKings. We've all heard the rumors, but Fight Island is finally here. The weekend's UFC 251 is set to be the best yet, with names stepping into the octagon all throughout the night. This is an event you don't want to miss, and there's no better place to get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. This week only. DraftKings is offering all new users a special odds boost on this weekend's headline fight. Bet $20 to win 100 on either fighter. Wow, those are amazing odds, I'll tell you that what. That is pretty awesome. This week is full action, from golf to European soccer, all the way to Abu Dhabi for Fight Island, and DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. And for the big fight this weekend, DraftKings is offering all users not one but two profit boosts when you place a bet on UFC 251. Just place a pre-match bet on a fighter, and if they win, your payout increases. And that's my favorite part about DraftKings, those little games and side things that they do, like the boosts and, and free bets like that. DraftKings Sportsbook is U.S.-based, making it safe, secure, and reliable. Plus, it's easy to deposit and withdraw your funds whenever you want. And to top it all off, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering their best sign-up offer to date. Right now, you don't want to miss this. I'm telling you people. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code MHS when you sign up. For a limited time, new users can get a no-brainer odds boost on the headline fight this Saturday. Bet $20 and win 100 Yep, that's right. No matter if you pick 
Usman or Masvidal, your odds will be boosted to $20 to 100 So head to DraftKings Sportsbook now and sign up with code MHS. You must be 21 or older, Colorado only, bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. I'm super excited for this event. The Usman and Masvidal fight is going to be a hell. It's going to be a blast. I'm excited to see this fight island thing. Dana White went out to the Middle East and went to Abu Dhabi and set this thing up. And He's been talking about it since March. And I, it just sounded like something where he was blowing smoke out of his ass. I didn't think this was actually going to happen. And I'm really excited to see it. Um... It's an exciting time to be a degenerate. It's an exciting time to be a sports fan. And in the coming weeks, for my fellow degenerates out there, the Avalanche are playing hockey in literally 23 days. Yep, absolutely. And that's a perfect segue into phase two. Um, And, you know, we've been talking about it for several podcasts in a row. And I think a good place to start is a sighting of our boy Pavo Francis. He has been skating. He is in town and he's back. He's not opting out like we were afraid. He's not sick like we might have speculated, but, you know, he's ready to go. And and there's been kind of a, a hot topic around the goaltending lately, just as there should be. But this is where I wanted to, to set things straight and give my opinion. I think, you know, that's kind of the one thing I bring to the table that people like me for is, is my goaltender knowledge. So here's what I think is the right call. You go with Grubauer. Why? Because he's had so much freaking time off. What was the yes. biggest question for him? It was, can he handle the load? Can he handle the workload of the entire season? Well, guess what? We don't have to worry about that anymore. It's we just a have reset two months, button. August 2nd to October 4th. That's it. Exactly. So get he'll he'll come out strong, just like he's done in the past. You know, if it's uh, two like, like the Capitals two what was it two years ago where they started him game one and then didn't let him play the rest of the of the series. You know, we definitely I don't definitely don't see that happening. He's learned from his mistakes. He's learned from the past, and I think he's going to come out buzzing. Yes, absolutely. Keep him on a short leash. Once Francis, you know, once Grubauer gives up a, a weak goal or two or three bad ones. Give Francis a shot. That's the that's the luxury of having two solid tendies. And, and I think they're the both thing. great. That's the thing. The Avalanche doesn't feel like a starter and backup kind of thing anymore. This isn't Semyon Varlamov and insert backup name here, whether Jaguar, Reto Berra, whoever it may be, where you're really making a considerable drop. Uh, Grubauer did this last year. Uh, for the longest time, my brother's phone screen background was that save that Grubauer made in the Cal- against Calgary where he had the kicked up pad while he was flat on his stomach and then the Avalanche went and scored an overtime goal and you know the entire series shifted and he's done it before and, and now with all this resting time and without all these lingering injury issues that he had throughout the year, you you can't not go with Grubauer. He's your guy. Um on that note, I am going to change the subject for just a quick second because for the first time while recording with you, we have one of those breaking news things that are happening live during recording. We were just talking about this, but Brad Trilliving, the Flames general manager, has announced that Travis Hamanick will not be taking part in the tournament for family considerations. He is a pending unrestricted free agent and the first legitimate name that will be pulling out of this tournament. Calgary Flames top four defenseman Travis Hamanick. What are your thoughts on that? My initial thoughts are, okay, what if more big-name players follow suit? Then what does this tournament look like? What if That's you know, the thing. And, you know, we've seen a lot of the black aces appear this week around the Colorado Avalanche. Connor Timmins, Anton Lindholm, Logan O'Connor. We even saw Bowen Byram today. You'd hate to see the tournament filled with black aces. All You know, you don't want to see every team with at least one line of guys you haven't seen in the NHL all, basically all year. So it makes me a little bit nervous. Hopefully, you know, most of the players are ready to go and don't follow him. But, you know, that sucks. That really, that really puts a little bit of a damper on things. Yeah. And, I mean, it goes without saying that anybody who chooses to come forward and announce that they will not be partaking in the tournament uh, should not be – by any means ridiculed for their decision. This is a family decision. And you have to think about it. For somebody like Travis Hamannick, who is a pending UFA, he's a very, very uh he's a very good defenseman. He's a great player. He's he helps teams win. And the most important thing, he is a pending unrestricted free agent. 
So on top of the fact that he's already shit out of luck because he has to deal with a pandemic ruining the finances behind this league and the entire world in terms of signing that new contract, he's also making the decision to say, I'm not going to play hockey leading up to being an unrestricted free agent. So now when teams want to re-sign him, they have nothing to really look at. If he came to this tournament, played his ass off, it could be the difference of many multiple millions of dollars that he's going to make in his future. So taking that into account and making the decision to stand firm and say this is for a family consideration, whatever that private issue is that he chose not to come to this tournament, is a very mature and adult move and it was not an easy one. So we definitely don't want to ridicule Hamannick or anybody else that comes about but this is kind of what I was talking about when I said earlier that you don't want a lot of things to come into place where you know maybe a, a an outbreak happens within the Dallas Stars locker room and they have to pull out of the entire tournament worst case scenario kind of like how we've seen from some teams in the MLS like Nashville's football club um, you also don't want to see enough players or enough big name players not partake in this tournament where you know maybe the avalanche beat tampa bay in the stanley cup final and it's and it's well you know what ryan o'reilly and vladimir tarasenko pulled out for st louis that's why colorado swept them in the third round well you know what steven stamkos didn't play for air for uh tampa bay that's why they beat tampa bay in the final so you don't want anything to give this an asterisk um but at the same time by no means are we ridiculing the players for making that decision but i just thought that it was interesting that on the first night of this deal being ratified and everything being ratified, the first name to drop is Travis Hamanick. Uh He hasn't played a game, by the way, since February 8th because of an injury. So he will be healthy for the 2021 season, but only God knows where he's going to be playing and how much money he's going to make. On top of that, how much money he's going to lose by not being able to play from February 8th through possibly December 1st. Also, who knows how far healed that injury is for him? You know? Yeah, he, he this doesn't could want be a to go out there and retweak it, and then not be able to play for next season. So um, then he'd make any team that signs him look real dumb there. But as far as the you know lack of ridicule, and I think you you said it. I think I speak for you safely here that you don't judge him in any way for for skipping 100% out for, not. for a reason nope. like this. And I think most people wouldn't. And that's what makes me a little nervous. Is we just discussed how perhaps twenty percent of the players, more or less don't want to play so the how many of them are going to step forward how many this. especially now once they see the yep. lack of ridicule and the acceptance and like okay yeah. it's understandable so that makes me a little bit a little bit that was always there. the thing it was once one big name domino drops and travis hamannick is a big name he's by no means a superstar all-star franchise player kind of guy if this was an evgeny malkin for example then you might have someone like Braden Point in Tampa Bay saying, you know what, it's not going to be as big a deal now because Malkin did it. But what happens with Travis Hamannick doing it is now players that are at least recognizable names might not feel as much pressure when making that decision. So somebody like maybe a Giannis Donskoy, Burakovsky, and Ian Cole, they're not by any means fourth-line players, but they are valuable parts of the team. But they're also not your McKinnon and Ranton and those guys which make up a majority of the league might feel a little more comfortable making that decision. Um, 135 players voted no, 502 voted yes. So I am pretty much going to probably guess and predict that Hamannick was one of the 135 unless he was okay with the CBA portion of it and voted yes and then opted out, which is a possibility. But we could hear a lot more of these over the next week and two weeks, so we'll see how it goes. Absolutely. Let's see how the dominoes fall. I think that's actually yep. probably the first time I've ever discussed a breaking story. It's not going to be breaking by the time anybody listens to this, but yeah. that was fun. Breaking was for exciting. you and me, you know, no, no, yeah, no, no ability for us to plan ahead and just sort of off the spot. And you know what, man, I've, I've been listening to many podcasts over the years and it's cool to be in that on that side of it now. I think we crushed it. You know, I think that was always my biggest worry is if that ever happened. What if I'm not ready to answer yeah. any questions? I kind of threw you respond? on the board. You're usually the host <laughs> yeah. and you're usually asking me things. And I just sort of threw it out there and said, what are your thoughts? And you went right into it, man. 10 out of 10. Good first time. So looks like we're doing a good thing. You you deserve a nice little flex for that. Stick taps, little clap. And, and, and I, might give us a, I might give us one of the stars of the week for that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's, it wouldn't be the first time or the last time, rightfully <laughs> and deservedly so, so. Uh, we pat ourselves on the back a lot here. Last thing yeah. I wanted to get into before we do our usual wrap-up of the show, 
really quick was, um, you know, NHL starting to kind of do their team profiles heading into the COVID Cup here. And uh, Nick Konstanikis uh, was the one in charge of the Avalanche. I'm not sure if he's doing all of them. I only read the Avalanche one. Yeah. But I think one thing that really stirred up conversation amongst Avs Twitter and, you know, really started getting me thinking is what are the lines supposed to look like coming yeah. back? I mean, when you have everybody at your disposal – what do you do? What do you what do you pick from? So I think obviously we all agree on the top line. You keep that Landeskog, Rantanen, McKinnon line at least for the beginning to see how you know how quickly they jump back into things. But from there, what do you think goes? So your line two is going to consist of Nazem Kadri, Andre Burakovsky, and one of two names in my opinion, either Valerie Nichushkin or Giannis Donskoy. Both of those guys have played with Burakovsky and Kadri. The most recent one was Nichushkin, and he provides such a different element to that line, to Burakovsky and to Kadri, that to me, that's the person you put on there. You put Valerie Nichushkin on that second line, and then just think of the defensive 200-foot game third line of JT Comfer, Jonas Donskoy, and Vladislav Nemesnikov. That is a defensive shutdown. That's your Sammy Paulson, Travis Moen, and Rob Niedermeyer Anaheim Ducks line 13 years ago that won them the Stanley Cup. I, I hope some of you can actually remember those names because that was a hell of a fun line to watch or more recognizable for the Avalanche when they had that Eric Messier line in 2001 that was shutting down opposing teams. Comfort, Donskoy, and Nemesnikov do that and provide a lot of offense. And then your fourth line is everybody's favorite fourth line of Calvert, Belmar, and Nieto. And then your first two players on the outside looking in, for me, are Tyson Jost and Colin Wilson in no particular order. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the biggest question mark, I think. And when Nick Konstantinikis wrote his article, I don't think, obviously, as we're used to seeing, he paid as close to attention to yeah. the Avalanche as you thought because he completely left Nachuskin out. And considering what Nachuskin did, especially yeah. towards the later portion of that season, you can't. And to throw Tyson Jost no. up in there after kind of the season, not even season, the career he's had so far, I think you definitely edge a lot closer to Nachuskin. Yeah, Nick Kotsanika is a great guy. He he was at quite a bit of Avalanche games, and the only reason why is because he is a Detroit-area journalist, so he's probably within a 10-mile radius of me, and probably his ear is itching right now because we're talking about him. Uh, Kotsanika covers the Red Wings, and because there wasn't much to talk about for the Red Wings, he was in Denver quite often this year, but... I think it's not necessarily it's it's one of it's it's a little bit of two things. It's the fact that Nichushkin sort of isn't people around the league haven't taken notice of just how valuable he's been to the Avalanche and the dude is killing penalties. Like it's he's done everything and more and I I, I can't wait for the off season, the short 6 week off season where we talk about who's going to come back and who's going to uh leave in free agency where I make a big uh a, a big uh I, I basically say that the Avalanche should re-sign Val- Valerie Nichushkin. And on the other hand, Tyson Jost has always had a lot of, let's call it, player clout for being a top 10 overall draft pick around the league. And it is a little bit concerning because it says that not many people really realize what he's done to this point of his career, which isn't much. But at the same time, that just means he's got a lot of value around the league. And when it comes time for the offseason and possibly next year's trade deadline, however much longer he lasts in the Avalanche... He's going to have a lot of value, and it, it, it might end up leading to Joe Sackick just making another rob, highway robbery trade in the near future, and it might be to a Detroit. It might be to a New Jersey, one of those teams that are rebuilding. So Nichushkin, to me, isn't only someone that needs to be not left off, but like I just said like two minutes ago, to me, he is a very reasonable option for the second line. And perhaps Tyson Joseph is the type of guy that, uh, you know, a game or two in the press box lights a fire under him we saw what yeah. happened to him right after the trade deadline when there he, were rumors yeah. swarming him he came out and he looked like the tyson jose we've been wanting so you know maybe that's something that uh, he can resurrect again and suddenly pops off these playoffs and makes it impossible for joe Sagic to move him who knows that's in my opinion best case scenario because you hate to see a draft pick just not pan out and i like yeah, the guy absolutely. he's a nice you know. guy no one is, yeah, no one is rooting against Tyson Jones. It's just at this point, Nichushkin definitely deserves that spot ahead of him. But at the same time, this playoff is so constricted, so congested, you don't have much time to wait for a player to do what he's got to do. So if the season starts and Nichushkin isn't the guy that we remember him to be in February and March, he'll sit. 
And it'll be the same thing for Burakovsky and for Donskoy and for Nieto, Calvert, Belmar, etc., etc., etc. And then you also have a player like Colin Wilson, who I think this entire pandemic break has been a big positive for him because he hadn't played hockey for three months and was expected to step in and probably not be able to supplant uh, anybody from their spot in the lineup. But now he is no longer the only guy that hasn't played for multiple months. Literally the entire league hasn't played for multiple months. So the Avalanche have depth. They have depth. They have options. And that's kind of crazy to think about. They haven't had that in years past. How often did we always shudder at the idea of Gabriel Bork playing playoff games, playing reasonable minutes? They don't have that anymore. They have solid NHLers. And even their black aces seem to be reasonably better than what they've had in the past. Yep, yep. You say Colin Wilson. It reminds me when you and I made the joke earlier in COVID that of all the Avalanche players to possibly get COVID, good chance Colin Wilson probably got it twice. Um, (laughs) One thing I wanted to touch on before we get to the social media moment of the week that Eric's going to take over is real quick, you touched on the fact that New Jersey is rebuilding. I mean, it feels like they've been rebuilding for, what, two or three years now. They've been getting high draft picks, getting good guys. And this week we saw that they hired a new coach in Lindy Ruff. It just made me take a step back and just appreciate Jared Bednar a little bit more, right? I mean, yeah. he's such a key cog to this piece and where the Avalanche are right now that without making that such a great hire, the Avalanche could easily be in the devil's shoes right now and still be trying to figure some stuff out. And that's the thing. I mean, that's, you know, we just had the conversation about Francis and Grubauer and the two things that the Avalanche have dealt with consistently since their inception Number one was goaltending issues. Outside of that nine years that Patrick Wall was here, the Avalanche have always seemed to have some bit of goalie controversy. Varlamov is a very capable starter, but was not always healthy or consistent. The second thing was coaches. And that goes back to when the years when the Avalanche were winning Stanley Cups. It was Mark Crawford, then it was Bob Hartley. He was fired in the middle of a very star-studded lineup in 2003, and Tony Granato took over, later came back after Joel Quinville survived only like a year or two, or two years here. And then in the middle of all that, we had a Joe Sacco come into play, and that was a terrible four years. And Patrick Waugh sort of started strong, took a big dip. So the Avalanche have always had have never really had a solidified coach, someone that you can sort of connect with the team and their identity. Someone like Lindy Ruff when he was in Buffalo, somebody like Mike Babcock when he was in Detroit, John Cooper in Tampa Bay, and Jared Bednar's becoming that guy. It's it's not going to take much for him over the next four to five to six years to be the best coach in Avalanche history, and it's really something that they have to appreciate. Right, absolutely. We all do as, as fans, as media, and just... People around the Avalanche got to take a second to appreciate Jared Bednar because while most of our attention is on the pawns on the ice, we can't be forgetting about who's in charge, you know, moving the chess pieces around. And we're just so fortunate to have that piece not be an issue here. And, you know, it's such an important piece. But that brings us to the wrap up of our show. And that's this week's social media moment of the week. Speaking of the avalanche and coming out of a rebuild, this was kind of funny for me to see. Uh, if you're a Facebook user, which might be somewhat something for the millennials and above, and above because apparently 18, 19-year-olds don't have Facebooks now. I've learned that over the last couple of weeks talking to my cousins. Um, but I pulled up a memory from July 7, 2009. And if that date sounds familiar, it's because it's an important date for two reasons. July 7th is Joe Sackick's birthday. July 7th, 2009, on his 40th birthday is the day that Joe Sackick announced his retirement. It was a couple weeks after the Avalanche made their first lottery pick in the NHL draft, selecting Matt Duchesne third overall. And everybody remembers his fist bump for getting picked by the Avalanche. Everybody remembers that uh, that inside uh, look of the draft, that all-access thing where Duchesne is talking on the cell phone, wearing his Avalanche jersey on top of his button-down. And then he says, okay, bye, hangs up, looks at the camera with this big, bright smile that any lifelong Avalanche fan would have and looks at the camera and says, I was just talking to Joe Sackick. And my Facebook status on July 7, 2009, in entirely capital letters, because that's what I did when I was 16, everything was fully capital letters, was Joe Sackick is retiring, exclamation mark. Worst day in Avs history, exclamation mark. Duchesne will suffer most, exclamation mark. 
The funny thing is, Duchesne did suffer most, and it was not because he didn't get to play with Joe Sackick, but it was because Joe Sackick later became GM, and I don't really got to go much more into detail from that because everybody remembers the Duchesne and Sackick relationship and what it turned into before he was eventually traded. So it was just a funny little ironic, Duchesne will suffer most, and he did, not for the reason we thought, but he did, and it's just it was... It's just crazy to me, number one, that things worked out in Avalanche history that it, the way they did. Number two, it's been friggin' 11 years since Joe Sackett last played a hockey game, which also means he's 51 years old. Holy crap. And number three, just like we were talking about with the New Jersey Devils, the Avalanche drafted Duchesne, and we thought that was it. And it took 11 years from that date until now where we can say the Avalanche are truly a contender again. 11 years after Sackick retired, and it's because Sackick is at the helm as the general manager and traded Duchesne for a crap load of things that are putting the Avalanche in the right direction. So everything about that social media moment was just perfect for, for this part in Avalanche history. You would have never thought in a million years how right you would be about that little Facebook status. Yeah. All right, getting into the three stars of the week brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I want to give a quick honorable mention, and that's to all the rollerbladers out there. I don't know if it's spitting chiclets starting this trend or just the the timing that happened, but rollerblading is coming back, and I couldn't be happier about it. I'm kind of one of the losers that never left the rollerblading gang. Um, you know, I remember getting weird looks in college for rollerblading to class and, you know, rollerblading around Lodo and people being like, what the hell is he doing? That's so 90s. But it's making a comeback. Uh, me and my Bauer Vapors will meet anybody at any roller hockey rink. I feel bad for those roller hockey. There's so many roller hockey rinks around the city and they're always empty. Let's put those babies yeah. to use. Whether Even if you're running and you can't skate, let's just play some street hockey. Like it makes me think back in the 90s, it was weird to not own a hockey stick. Everybody owned a hockey stick. Maybe it's just because yep. they were way cheaper back then, just because they were made of wood and you could buy one for 10 bucks. Yeah, but, 10, 20 bucks. Yep. Yeah. But, it, you know, hockey's really fallen off the, just the, the popularity map. And I think rollerblading coming back is, is maybe a good step in the direction of, of that picking back up. That's just a, that was just an honorable mention. Think about what the three stars are going to look like. Yeah, for sure. And that's actually really cool. And, you know, we saw that Spit and Chicklets is sort of turning things around like that. And it's 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 one of those lost arts, I feel like, rollerblading. You don't really see much of it nowadays in the, in the younger generation. And uh, it's something that I'm all for. And it's something that we should bring back and, and be, make more prevalent because it's a hell of a fun exercise. And it's it's just fun to do. Yeah, I can't wait to watch a bunch of 30-year-olds playing street hockey like the, like the good old days. <laughs> the knees don't work like they used to. <laughs> Star number three, and this is a special one. I don't think one of our listeners has ever made it to the three stars of the week, so good on you. Hope Cholo, he's one of our favorite listeners. He follows us all the time. Just had a lot of nice things to say about our podcast. It's good to hear, especially, you know, you and I are very uh, self-deprecating. We don't even think we do a good job doing this. So for someone else to think that we do a good job and, and spend their time listening to us and uh, you know maybe even learning a thing or two really means a lot and goes a long way with us. Um, so shout out to you, Hope Cholo. Everybody give him a follow. Funny guy. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, this is going to sound very cliche and uh, kind of tacky in a sense, but I often forget when we have these conversations, we jump on Skype or, you know, before the pandemic in person, we get together, we record these things that we talk hockey. I often truly, truly in the heart of hearts forget that we have listeners because to me, I'm just talking hockey, talking hockey with you. I'm discussing all these things. And it's just great to see that people are not only listening, but reacting and in a positive way at that. So absolutely appreciate it. He tweeted me about that uh, a couple hours ago. Uh, says it's the best avalanche pod out there. I'm not going to agree with him, but I'm also not going to disagree with him. So if you truly need an avalanche podcast out there, avalanche talk with JJ and double a myself, Arif Dean, mile high sports. Uh, thank you. Hope for the kind words. And you know, maybe we can hear some more feedback from our listeners in the near future. Absolutely. Maybe even get some more. Um, Star number two, I'm giving that to the MLS in its entirety. I know you guys are getting sick of me talking so much soccer and COVID. I probably didn't even tell you I like soccer prior to COVID. But what the MLS is doing um, with 
the, I guess, Black Lives Matter movement, you know, that's uh, important to us. We definitely stand behind that, and they are, you know, paying homage to it before every single game. Um, you see uh, an entire team with the nameplates of victims from police brutality, stuff yep. like that. So uh, to see an entire league take that step and give it the thumbs up and the green light, I think really speaks volumes to just the progress we're making. It might not be exactly where we need to be, but things are things are enlightening, I would say. You know, as weird as it sounds, I didn't really uh, it didn't really hit me how big a deal the Black Lives Movement is until I saw one specific MLS you know, personality or head coach wearing a shirt that was supporting it. And that's one of my childhood favorite players, uh, Thierry Henry. He played for Arsenal, who's now owned by Kroenke, and played internationally for France. And seeing him, he's now the head coach of Montreal's football club, and seeing him wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt just sort of hit me in a different way because that's a name that I associate with my past 10, 15 years ago and the current events now and it all sort of comes together and it's you know great for the mls great for the nba seeing the toronto raptors pull up with a black lives matter bus Mm -hmm. uh just wrapped in black lives matter seeing mark gasol seeing nick nurse all these guys coming out wearing black lives matter shirts um the mls is doing it the nba is doing it hopefully we see some in the nhl uh which you know brings me to the point that there is no dress code in the NHL this year. You can wear whatever the hell you want to going into the arena. So especially those guys that are part of the Hockey Diversity Alliance, the Nazem Kadri's, the Evander Kane's, these guys that are still players and will be participating, hopefully so, in this tournament. I'm really curious to see if they're going to do something like this, the change hockey culture sweaters, the Black Lives Matter shirts. Uh, it's, it's going to be a really interesting time, and I and I can't wait for us to give a star to a certain player, team, or the NHL in general for making a big step like this in a time like this. Yeah, hopefully you're right. You'd hate to just see silence and, and uh, you know, just get looked the other way by the NHL, but at least the Hockey Diversity Alliance is there. You'll, you'll know they'll make their voices heard. I'm still waiting on my... Uh, change hockey culture hoodie too by the way haven't even received a your item is shipped email yet i'm looking at you yeah right now. i mean yeah <laughs> I, I, they, need I, bar- I got an email from them they had a ton of a ton of demand for that sweater which is which is a yeah. good thing i think it, it, yeah it's probably an overwhelming they didn't expect it to be this crazy kind of thing it could also be related to covid and fedex just sort of hangs on to packages nowadays, but you know, you can't blame them. Things are crazy, but you know, I'm sure you'll get it in time and hopefully in time to see somebody wearing it. Absolutely. Which brings us to star number one, which is going to be taken over by my man, Eric Dean. Star number one. I have pumped his tires in the past and I'm going to do it again. NHL commissioner, everybody's favorite man to boo, Gary freaking Batman has done an ex. Thank you for the booze. Has done an exceptional job from the day that this entire pandemic began. Busted his ass off to get this deal done for the betterment of the players, the betterment of the league, the NHL, Seattle joining the new TV deal. Everything adds up. The NHL players did not want a rollback. They did not want escrow at fifty percent. That's what they agreed to on the last CBA. Everything is related to hockey-related revenues. So as much as it sounds messed up that players were the ones that had to be the guys that take a big hit if something like a pandemic happens, because there is no such thing as any kind of pandemic insurance in a collective bargaining agreement, the reality is Bettman worked his ass off with the PA, with the owners, to make sure that the that does not happen to the players. Escrow is capped. Olympic participation is hopefully back pending an IOC agreement. He gave a lot of concessions to the players. He gave a lot of things to them to say, you know what, this is worth it. The cap is not going down. It may not be going up for a year or two, but it's not going down, and that's a big deal. Gary Bettman did not uh, did not commit to Vegas. He did not commit to Vancouver, to Chicago, to LA. He waited until he knew exactly what was happening because of the fluid situation of this pandemic and the fact that things are changing on a daily basis. He waited until the last possible moment to announce the cities, which was today, July 10th, 
and he did an exceptional job. Exceptional job. I cannot wait for the 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs. If this COVID Cup goes as smoothly as I hope, and I think it will, and if other leagues struggle and possibly have to stop, and the NHL is the only one to do it, I am super excited to see 12 months from now when there is hopefully fans back in the stadiums and Gary Bettman and announces the Stanley Cup champion. I am very excited for 12 months from now to hopefully see people cheer him. And if they do boo him, it's for you wrestling nerds, something like Kurt Angle where people still scream, you suck at him, even though they love him. Just tradition now. It's a tradition now, but I hope it's done with smiles rather than we truly hate you because (laughs) Batman has done an exceptional, exceptional job. I can't say that damn word anymore. And he deserves the first start today and hopefully again in the near future. Well, there you have it. It's getting late for you. You're on East Coast time. We're running probably longer and longer every week. But, hey, that just means we have things to talk about. And watch out. We might might be putting out two-hour podcasts once hockey starts going again. Yeah, and uh, next time we talk to you, we're going to be talking about line combinations. We're going to be talking about matchups. We're going to be talking about starting goalies. And I am all the more excited for it. I will be back in Colorado Sunday. The training camp starts Monday, hopefully if you follow me on Twitter at runwriterif, R-U-N-W-R-I-T-E-A-A-R-I-F, hopefully I'll have some pictures and videos live from the skate. If not, hockey's here. That's all that matters. Absolutely. And, you know, we'll be here to talk about it. We appreciate anybody who out there listening to us. So bless your heart if you made it this far in the podcast. Other than that, we'll be back next week. Talk some more Avs hockey. Talk some more DraftKings. Don't forget, DraftKings is America's top-rated sportsbook app. Other than that, for Arif Dean, I am JJ. Hockey's for everyone, and we out here.